Section 14 From Lala Rook, Part 4 The Light of the Harem By Thomas Moore Read for LibriVox.org By Noel Badrian The Vale of Kashmir Who has not heard of the Vale of Kashmir With its roses the brightest that earth ever gave? its temples and grottoes and fountains as clear as the love-lighted eyes that hang over their wave oh to see it at sunset when warm o'er the lake its splendour at parting a summer eve throws like a bride full of blushes when lingering to take a last look of her mirror at night ere she goes when the shrines through the foliage are gleaming half shown and each hallows the hour by some rites of its own here the music of prayer from the minaret swells here the magian his urn full of perfume is swinging and here at the altar a zone of sweet bells round the waist of some fair indian dancer is ringing or to see it by moonlight when mellowly shines the light o'er its palaces gardens and shrines when the waterfall gleams like a quick fall of stars and the nightingale's hymn from the isle of chenars is broken by laughs and light echoes of feet from the cool shining walks where the young people meet or at morn when the magic of daylight awakes a new wonder each minute as slowly it breaks hills cupolas fountains called forth every one out of darkness as if but just born of the sun when the spirit of fragrance is up with the day from his harem of night flowers stealing away and the wind full of wantonness woos like a lover the young aspen trees till they tremble all over when the east is as warm as the light of first hopes and day with his banner of radiance unfurled shines in through the mountainous portal that opes sublime from that valley of bliss to the world end of poem namuna the enchantress hence is it too that nurmahal amid the luxuries of this hour far from the joyous festival sits in her own sequestered bower with no one near to soothe or to aid but that inspired and wondrous maid namuna the enchantress one o'er whom his race the golden sun for unremembered years has run yet never saw her blooming brow younger or fairer than tis now nay rather as the west wind's sigh freshens the flower it passes by time's wing but seemed in stealing o'er to leave her lovelier than before yet on her smiles a sadness hung and when as oft she spoke or sung of other worlds there came a light from her dark eyes so strangely bright that all believed nor man nor earth were conscious of namuna's birth all spells and talismans she knew from the great mantra which around the air's sublimer spirits drew 
to the gold gems of Afric bound upon the wandering Arab's arm to keep him from the Siltim's harm, and she had pledged her powerful art, pledged it with all the zeal and heart of one who knew, though high her sphere, what twas to lose a love so dear, to find some spell that should recall her Selim's smile to Normahal. End of poem. Namuna's song. I know where the winged visions dwell that around the night bed play. I know each herb and floweret's bell where they hide their wings by day. Then hasten we, maid, to twine our braid. Tomorrow the dreams and flowers will fade. The image of love that nightly flies to visit the bashful maid steals from the jasmine flower that sighs its soul like her in the shade the dream of a future happier hour that alights on misery's brow springs out of the silvery almond flower that blooms on a leafless bough then hasten we maid to twine our braid to-morrow the dreams and flowers will fade the visions that oft to worldly eyes the glitter of minds unfold inhabit the mountain herb that dyes the tooth of the fawn like gold the phantom shapes o oh, touch not them that appall the murderer's sight lurk in the fleshy mandrake stem that shrieks when plucked at night then hasten we made to twine our braid Tomorrow the dreams and flowers will fade. The dream of the injured, patient mind that smiles at the wrongs of men is found in the bruised and wounded rind of the cinnamon sweetest then. Then hasten we, maid, to twine our braid. Tomorrow the dreams and flowers will fade. End of poem. THE GEORGIAN SONG Come hither, come hither, by night and by day, We linger in pleasures that never are gone. Like the waves of the summer, as one dies away, Another as sweet and as shining comes on. And the love that is o'er, in expiring, gives birth To a new one as warm, as unequalled in bliss and oh if there be an elysium on earth it is this it is this here maidens are sighing and fragrant their sigh as the flower of the amra just opened by a bee and precious their tears as the rain from the sky which turns into pearls as it falls in the sea oh think what the kiss and the smile must be worth when the sigh and the tear are so perfect in bliss, and own if there be an Elysium on earth, it is this, it is this. Here sparkles the nectar that hallowed by love could draw down those angels of old from their sphere, who for wine of this earth left the fountains above, and forgot heaven's stars for the eyes we have here 
and blessed with the odour our goblet gives forth what spirit the sweets of his eden would miss for oh if there be an elysium on earth it is this it is this the georgian song was scarcely mute when the same measure sound for sound was caught up by another lute and so divinely breathed around that all stood hushed and wondering and turned and looked into the air as if they thought to see the wing of israfil the angel there so powerfully on every soul that new enchanted measure stole while now a voice sweet as the notes of the charmed lute was heard to float along its chords and so entwine its sounds with theirs that none knew whether the voice or lute was most divine so wondrously they went together there's a bliss beyond all that the minstrel has told when two that are linked in one heavenly tie with heart never changing and brow never cold love on through all ills and love on till they die one hour of a passion so sacred is worth whole ages of heartless and wandering bliss and oh if there be an elysium on earth it is this it is this End of poem. This recording is in the public domain. Section 15 from The Loves of the Angels by Thomas Moore. Read for LibriVox.org by Noel Badrian. First Angel's Story. Twas in a land that far away into the golden orient lies where nature knows not night's delay but springs to meet her bridegroom day upon the threshold of the skies one morn on earthly mission sent and midway choosing where to light i saw from the blue element oh beautiful but fatal sight one of earth's fairest womankind half veiled from view or rather shrined in the clear crystal of a brook which while it hid no single gleam of her young beauties made them look more spirit-like as they might seem through the dim shadowing of a dream pausing in wonder i looked on while playfully round her breaking the waters that like diamonds shone she moved in light of her own making at length as from the airy height i gently lowered my breathless flight the tremble of my wings all o'er for through each plume i felt the thrill startled her as she reached the shore of that small lake her mirror still above whose brink she stood like snow when rosy with a sunset glow never shall i forget those eyes the shame the innocent surprise of that bright face when in the air uplooking she beheld me there it seemed as if each thought and look and motion were that minute chained fast to the spot such root she took and like a sunflower by a brook with face upturned so still remained 
in pity to the wandering maid though loath from such a vision turning downward i bent beneath the shade of my spread wings to hide the burning of glances which i well could feel for me for her too warmly shone but ere i could again unseal my restless eyes or even steal one sidelong look the maid was gone hid from me in the forest leaves sudden as when in all her charms of full-blown light some cloud receives the moon into his dusky arms tis not in words to tell the power the despotism that from that hour passion held o'er me day and night i sought round each neighbouring spot and in the chase of this sweet light my task and heaven and all forgot all but the one sole haunting dream of her i saw in that bright stream nor was it long ere by her side i found myself whole happy days listening to words whose music vied with our own eden's seraph lays when seraph lays are warmed by love but wanting that far far above and looking into eyes where blue and beautiful like skies seen through the sleeping wave for me there shone a heaven more worshipped than my own oh what while i could hear and see such words and looks was heaven to me though gross the air on earth i drew twas blessed while she breathed it too though dark the flowers though dim the sky love lent them light while she was nigh throughout creation i but knew two separate worlds the one that small beloved and consecrated spot where leah was the other all the dull wide waste where she was not end of poem love religion and music twas first at twilight on the shore of the smooth sea he heard the lute and voice of her he loved steal o'er the silvery waters that lay mute as loath by even a breath to stay the pilgrimage of that sweet lay whose echo still went on and on till lost among the light that shone far off beyond the ocean's brim there where the rich cascade of day had o'er the horizon's golden rim into elysium rolled away of god she sung and of the mild attendant mercy that beside his awful throne for ever smiled ready with her white hand to guide his bolts of vengeance to their prey that she might quench them on the way of peace of that atoning love upon whose star shining above this twilight world of hope and fear the weeping eyes of faith are fixed so fond that with her every tear the light of that love star is mixed all this she sung and such a soul of piety was in that song that the charmed angel as it stole tenderly to his ear along those lulling waters where he lay watching the daylight's dying ray thought twas a voice from out the wave 
an echo that some sea-nymph gave to eden's distant harmony heard faint and sweet beneath the sea quickly however to its source tracking that music's melting course he saw upon the golden sand of the seashore a maiden stand before whose feet the expiring waves flung their last offering with a sigh as in the east exhausted slaves lay down the far-brought gift and die and while her lute hung by her hushed as if unequal to the tide of song that from her lips still gushed she raised like one beatified those eyes whose light seemed rather given to be adored than to adore such eyes as may have looked from heaven but ne'er were raised to it before o oh, love religion music all that's left of eden upon earth the only blessing since the fall of our weak souls that still recall a trace of their high glorious birth how kindred are the dreams you bring how love though unto earth so prone delights to take religion's wing when time or grief has stained his own how near to love's beguiling brink too oft entranced religion lies while music music is the link they both still hold to the skies the language of their native sphere which they had else forgotten here End of poem. Consolations All this they bear, but, not the less, have moments rich in happiness. Blessed meetings, after many a day, of widowhood passed far away, when the loved face again is seen, close, close, with not a tear between confidings frank without control poured mutually from soul to soul as free from any fear or doubt as is that light from chill or stain the sun into the stars sheds out to be by them shed back again that happy minglement of hearts where changed as chymic compounds are each with its own existence parts to find a new one happier far such are their joys and crowning all that blessed hope of the bright hour when happy and no more to fall their spirits shall with freshened power rise up rewarded for their trust in him for whom all goodness springs and shaking off earth's soiling dust from their emancipated wings wander forever through those skies of radiance where love never dies in what lone region of the earth these pilgrims now may roam or dwell god and the angels who look forth to watch their steps alone can tell but should we in our wanderings meet a young pair whose beauty wants but the adornment of bright wings to look like heaven's inhabitants who shine where'er they tread and yet are humble in their earthly lot as is the wayside violet that shines unseen and were it not for its sweet breath would be forgot 
whose hearts in every thought are one whose voices utter the same wills answering as echo doth some tone of fairy music mong the hills so like itself we seek in vain which is the echo which the strain whose piety is love whose love though close as twere their souls embrace is not of earth but from above like two fair mirrors face to face whose light from one to the other throne is heaven's reflection not her own should we ere meet with aught so pure so perfect here we may be sure tis zaraph and his bride we see and call young lovers round to view the pilgrim pair as they pursue their pathway towards eternity end of poem this recording is in the public domain section sixteen from satirical and humorous poems part one by thomas moore read for LibriVox.org by noel badrian from the skeptic as the gay tint that decks the vernal rose not in the flower but in our vision glows as the ripe flavour of falernia tides not in the wine but in our taste resides so when with heartfelt tribute we declare that marco's honest and that susan's fair tis in our minds and not in susan's eyes or marco's life the worth or beauty lies for she in flat-nosed china would appear as plain a thing as lady anne is here and one light joke at rich loretto's dome would rank good marco with the damned at rome there's no deformity so vile so base that tis not somewhere thought a charm a grace no foul reproach that may not steal a beam from other sons to bleach it to esteem ask who is wise you'll find the self-same man a sage in france a madman in japan and here some head beneath a mitre swells which there had tingled to a cap and bells nay there may yet some monstrous region be unknown to cook and from napoleon free where castlereagh would for a patriot pass and mouthing musgrave scarce be deemed an ass end of poem the twopenny post-bag letter two from colonel mcmahon to gould francis lecky esq dear sir i've just had time to look into your very learned book wherein as plain as man can speak whose english is half modern greek you prove that we can ne'er entrench our happy isles against the french till royalty in england's made a much more independent trade in short until the house of guelph lays lords and commons on the shelf and boldly sets up for itself all that can well be understood in this said book is vastly good and as to what's incomprehensible i dare be sworn tis full as sensible but to your work's immortal credit 
the prince good sir the prince has read it the only book himself remarks which he has read since mrs clark's last levee morn he looked it through during that awful hour or two of grave tonsorial preparation which to a fond admiring nation sends forth announced by trump and drum the best wig prince in christendom he thinks with you the imagination of partnership in legislation could only enter in the noddles of dull and ledger-keeping twaddles whose heads on firms are running so they even must have a king and co and hence most eloquently show forth on checks and balances and so forth but now he trusts we're coming nearer far more royal loyal era when england's monarch need but say whip me those scoundrels castlereagh or hang me up those papists eldon and twill be done ay faith and well done with view to which i've this command to beg sir from your travelled hand round which the foreign graces swarm a plan of radical reform compiled and chosen as best you can in turkey or at isfahan and quite upturning branch and root lords commons and burdett to boot but pray what ere you may impart write somewhat more brief than major cartwright else though the prince be long in rigging twould take at least a fortnight's wigging two wigs to every paragraph before he well could get through half you'll send it also speedily as truth to say twixt you and me his highness heated by your work already thinks himself grand turk and you'd have laughed had you seen how he scared the chancellor just now when on his lordship's entering poofed he slapped his back and called him mufti the tailors too have got commands to put directly into hands all sorts of dulimans and pouches with sashes turbans and pabuches while yarmouth sketching out a plan of new moustaches a la ottoman and all things fitting and expedient to turkify our gracious regent you therefore have no time to waste so send your system yours in haste End of poem. Extracts from the Diary of a Politician Wednesday Through Manchester Square took a canter just now, Met the old yellow chariot and made a low bow. This I did, of course, thinking t'was loyal and civil, But got such a look, oh, t'was black as the devil. How unlucky, in cog he was travelling about and i like a noodle must go find him out memo when next by the old yellow chariot i ride to remember there is nothing princely inside thursday at levee to-day made another sad blunder what can be come over me lately i wonder the prince was as cheerful as if all his life he had never been troubled with friends or a wife fine weather says he to which i who must prate answered yes sir but changeable rather of late 
he took it i fear for he looked somewhat gruff and handled his new pair of whiskers so rough that before all courtiers i feared they'd come off and then lord how jerram would triumphantly scoff memo to buy for son dicky some unguent or lotion to nourish his whiskers sure road to promotion saturday last night a concert vastly gay given by lady castlereagh my lord loves music and we know has two strings always to his bow in choosing songs the regent named had i a heart for falsehood framed while gentle hartford begged and prayed for young i am and sore afraid end of poem what's my thought like question why is a pump like viscount castlereagh answer because it is a slender thing of wood that up and down its awkward arm doth sway and coolly spout and spout and spout away in one weak washy everlasting flood end of poem epigram dialogue between a dowager and her maid on the night of lord yarmouth's fate i want the court guide said my lady to look if the house seymour place be at thirty or twenty we've lost the court guide ma'am but here's the red book where you'll find i dare say seymour places in plenty end of poem little man and little soul a ballad to the tune of there was a little man and he wooed a little maid dedicated to the right honourable charles abbott arcanas ambo e cantare pares eighteen thirteen there was a little man and he had a little soul and he said little soul let us try 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 whether it's within our reach to make up a little speech just between you and little i i i just between little you and little i then said his little soul peeping from her little hole i protest little man you are stout 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 but if it's not uncivil pray tell me what the devil must our little little speech be about bout bout must our little little speech be about the little man looked big with the assistance of his wig and he called his little soul to order 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 till she feared he'd make her jog in to jail like thomas croggin as she wasn't duke or earl to reward her order ward her as she wasn't duke or earl to reward her the little man then spoke little soul it is no joke for as sure as jacky fuller loves a sup 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 i will tell the prince and people what i think of church and steeple and my little patent plan to prop them up 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 and my little patent plan to prop them up 
away then cheek by jowl little man and little soul went and spoke their little speech to a tittle 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 and the world all declare that this priggish little pair never yet in all their lives looked so little 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 never yet in all their lives looked so little end of poem reinforcements for lord wellington suosque tibi commendat troja penates hos cape fatorum comites virgil eighteen thirteen as recruits in these times are not easily got and the marshal must have them pray why should we not as the last and i grant it the worst of our loans to him ship off the ministry body and bones to him there's not in all england i'll venture to swear any men we could half so conveniently spare and though they've been helping the french for years past we may thus make them useful to england at last castlereagh in our sieges might save some disgraces being used to the taking and keeping of places and volunteer canning still ready for joining might show off his talents for sly undermining could the household but spare us its glory and pride old headford at horn's work again might be tried and as chief justice make a bold charge at his side while van sittart could victual the troops upon tick and the doctor look after the baggage and sick nay i do not see why the great regent himself should in times such as these stay at home on the shelf though through narrow defiles he's not fitted to pass yet who could resist if he bore down our mass and though oft of an evening perhaps he might prove like our spanish confederates unable to move yet there's one thing in war of advantage unbounded which is that he could not with ease be surrounded in my next i shall sing of their arms and equipment at present no more but good luck to the shipment end of poem this recording is in the public domain section seventeen from satirical and humorous poems part two the fudge family in paris by thomas moore read for librivox dot org by noel badrian from miss biddy fudge to miss dorothy of clonkilty in ireland amiens dear doll while the tails of our horses are plaiting the trunks tying on and papa at the door into very bad french is as usual translating his english resolve not to give a sou more i sit down to write you a line only think a letter from france with french pens and french ink how delightful though would you believe it my dear i have seen nothing yet very wonderful here no adventure no sentiment far as we've come but the cornfields and trees quite as dull as at home and but for the postboy his boots and his queue i might just as well be at clonkilty with you in vain at desaines did i take from my trunk that divine fellow stern and fall reading the monk 
in vain did i think of his charming dead ass and remember the crust and the wallet alas no monks can be had now for love or for money all owing pa says to that infidel bony and though one little neddy we saw in our drive out of classical nampont the beast was alive by the by though at calais papa had a touch of romance on the pier which affected me much at the sight of that spot where our darling Dizuit set the first of his own dear legitimate feet modelled out so exactly and god bless the mark tis a foot dolly worthy so grand a monarch he exclaimed oh mon roi and with tear-dropping eye stood to gaze on the spot while some jacobin nigh muttered out with a shrug what an insolent thing ma foi he be right tis the englishman's king and that gros pied de cochon beggar me will say that de foot look much better if turned tod away there's the pillar too lord i had nearly forgot what a charming idea raised close to the spot the mode being now as you've heard i suppose to build tombs over legs and raise pillars to toes this is all that's occurred sentimental as yet except indeed some little flower nymphs we've met who disturb one's romance with pecuniary views flinging flowers in your path and then bawling for sous and some picturesque beggars whose multitudes seem to recall the good days of the ancien regime all as ragged and brisk you'll be happy to learn and as thin as they were in the time of dear stern end of poem from phil fudge esq to the lord viscount castlereagh paris at length my lord i have the bliss to date to you a line from this demoralized metropolis where by plebeians low and scurvy the throne was turned quite topsy-turvy and kingship tumbled from its seat stood prostrate at the people's feet where still to use your lordship's tropes the level of obedience slopes upward and downward as the stream of hydra faction kicks the beam where the poor palace changes masters quicker than a snake its skin and louis is rolled out on casters while bone is borne on shoulders in but where in every change no doubt one special good your lordship traces that tis the kings alone turned out the ministers still keep their places how oft dear viscount castlereagh i've thought of thee upon the way as in my job what place could be more apt to wake a thought of thee or often afar when gravely sitting upon my dicky as is fitting for him who writes a tour that he may more of men and manners see i've thought of thee and of thy glories thou guest of kings and king of tories reflecting how thy fame has grown and spread beyond man's usual share at home abroad 
till thou art known like major semple everywhere and marvelling with what powers of breath your lordship having speeched to death some hundreds of your fellow-men next speeched to sovereign's ears and when all sovereigns else were dozed at last speech down the sovereign of belfast oh mid the praises and the trophies thou gainst from morris of st sophie's mid all the tributes to thy fame there's one thou shouldst be chiefly pleased at that ireland gives her snuff thy name and castlereagh's the thing now sneezed at End of poem. Ireland's Revenge O oh, England, could such poor revenge atone for wrongs that well might claim the deadliest one? Were it a vengeance, sweet enough to sate the wretch who flies from thy intolerant hate? to hear his curses on such barbarous sway echoed where'er he bends his cheerless way could this content him every lip he meets teems for his vengeance with such poisonous sweets were this his luxury never is thy name pronounced but he doth banquet on thy shame here's maledictions ring from every side upon that grasping power that selfish pride which vaunts its own and scorns all rights beside that low and desperate envy which to blast a neighbour's blessings risks the few thou hast that monster self too gross to be concealed which ever lurks behind thy proffered shield that faithless craft which in thy hour of need can court the slave can swear he shall be freed yet basely spurns him when thy point is gained back to his masters ready gagged and chained were the associate of that band of kings that royal ravening flock whose vampire wings o'er sleeping europe treacherously brood and fan her into dreams of promised good of hope of freedom but to drain her blood if thus to hear thee branded be a bliss that vengeance loves there's yet more sweet than this that twas an irish head an irish heart made thee the fallen and tarnished thing thou art that as the centaur gives the infected vest in which he died to rack his conqueror's breast we send thee castlereagh as heaps of dead have slain their slayers by the pest they spread so hath our land breathed out thy fame to dim the strength to waste and rot thee soul and limb so hath our land breathed out thy fame to dim thy strength to waste and rot thee soul and limb her worst infections all condensed in him end of poem phil fudge in paris but think dick their cooks what a loss to mankind what a void in the world would their art leave behind 
their chronometer spits their intense salamanders their ovens their pots that can soften old ganders all vanished forever their miracles o'er and the marmot perpetual bubbling no more forbid it forbid it ye holy allies take whatever ye fancy take statues take money but leave them oh leave them their perigot pies their glorious goose-livers their high pickled tunny though many i own are the evils they've brought us though royalties here on her very last legs yet who can help loving the land that has taught us six hundred and eighty-five ways to dress eggs you see dick in spite of their cries of god damn coquin anglais etc how generous i am and now to return once again to my day which will take us all night to get through in this way from the boulevards we saunter through many a street crack jokes on the natives mine all very neat leave the signs of the times to political fops and find twice as much fun in the signs of the shops here a louis dix-huit there a martin mascoose much in vogue since your eagles are gone out of use Henri quarters in shoals and gods a great many but saints are the most on hard duty of any saint tony who used all temptations to spurn here hangs o'er a beer shop and tempts in his turn while there st venetia sits hemming and frilling her holy mouchoir o'er the door of some milliner st austin's the outward and visible sign of an inward cheap dinner and pint of small wine while st dennis hangs o'er some hatter of ton and possessing good bishop no head of his own takes an interest in dandies who've got next to none then we stare into shops read the evening's affiches or if some poor lotharios in feeding should wish just to flirt with a luncheon a devilish bad trick as it takes off the bloom of one's appetite dick to the passage day what ye call it day panoramas we quicken our pace and there heartily cram as seducing young pates as ever could cozen one out of one's appetite down by the dozen we vary of course petty pates do one day the next we've our lunch with the gaufriers hollandaise that popular artist who brings out like scott his delightful productions so quick hot and hot not the worst for the exquisite comment that follows divine maraschino which lord how one swallows end of poem extracts from mr fudge's journal addressed to lord c august tenth went to the madhouse saw the man who thinks poor wretch that while the fiend of discord here full riot ran he like the rest was guillotined but that when under boney's reign a more discreet though quite a strong one the heads were all restored again he in the scramble got a wrong one 
accordingly he still cries out this strange head fits him most unpleasantly and always runs poor devil about inquiring for his own incessantly while to his case a tear i dropped and sauntered home thought i ye gods how many heads might thus be swapped and after all not make much odds for instance there's van sittart's head tam carum it may well be said if by some curious chance it came to settle on bill solmes's shoulders the effect would turn out much the same on all respectable cash holders except that while in its new socket the head was planning schemes to win a zigzag way into one's pocket the hands would plunge directly in good viscount sidmouth too instead of his own grave respected head for aught i see that bars old lady wilhelmina frumps so while the hand signed circulars the head might lisp out what is trumps the regent's brains could we transfer to some robust man milliner the shop the shears the lace and ribbon would go i doubt not quite as glib on and vice versa take the pains to give the prince the shopman's brains one only change from thence would flow ribbons would not be wasted so twas thus i pondered on my lord and even at night when laid in bed i found myself before i snored thus chopping swapping head for head at length i thought fantastic elf how such a change would suit myself twixt sleep and waking one by one with various pericraniums saddled at last i tried your lordships on and then i grew completely addled forgot all other heads odd rotten and slept and dreamt that i was bottom end of poem this recording is in the public domain section eighteen from satirical and humorous poems part three fables for the holy alliance by thomas moore read for LibriVox.org by noel badrian the dissolution of the holy alliance a dream i've had a dream that bodes no good unto the holy brotherhood i may be wrong but i confess as far as it is right or lawful for one no conjurer to guess it seems to me extremely awful methought upon the neva's flood a beautiful ice palace stood a dome of frost-work on the plan of that once built by empress anne which shone by moonlight as the tale is like an aurora borealis in this said palace furnished all and lighted as the best on land are i dreamt there was a splendid ball given by the emperor alexander to entertain with all due zeal those holy gentlemen who've shown a regard so kind for europe's weal at tropau leibach and verona the thought was happy 
and designed to hint how thus the human mind may like the stream imprisoned there be checked and chilled till it can bear the heaviest kings that ode or sonnet ere yet be praised to dance upon it and all were pleased and cold and stately shivering in grand illumination admired the superstructure greatly nor gave one thought to the foundation much too the Tsar himself exulted to all plebeian fears a stranger for madame crudener when consulted had pledged her word there was no danger so on he capered fearless quite thinking himself extremely clever and waltzed away with all his might as if the frost would last for ever just fancy how a bard like me who reverence monarchs must have trembled to see that goodly company at such a ticklish sport assembled nor were the fears that thus astounded my loyal soul at all unfounded for lo ere long those walls so massy were seized with an ill omen dripping and o'er the floors now growing glassy their holinesses took to slipping the Tsar, half through a polonaise, could scarce get on for downright stumbling, and Prussia, though to slippery ways well used, was cursedly near tumbling. Yet still twas who could stamp the floor most, Russia and Austria's mong the foremost, and now to an Italian air this precious brace would hand in hand go now while old louis from his chair entreated them his toes to spare called loudly out for a fandango and a fandango faith they had at which they all set to like mad never were kings though small the expenses of wit among their excellencies so out of all their princely senses but ah that dance that spanish dance scarce was the luckless strain begun when glaring red as twere a glance shot from an angry southern sun a light through all the chambers flamed astonishing old father frost who bursting into tears exclaimed a thaw by jove we're lost we're lost run france a second waterloo is come to drown you sauve qui peut End of poem. The Fly and the Bullock The wise men of Egypt were secret as dummies, and even when they most condescended to teach, they packed up their meaning as they did their mummies, in so many wrappers twas out of one's reach. They were also good people much given to kings, fond of craft and of crocodiles, monkeys and mystery but blue-bottle flies were their best beloved things as will partly appear in this very short history a scythian philosopher nephew they say to that other great traveller young anacarsis stepped into a temple at memphis one day to have a short peep at their mystical farces he saw a brisk blue-bottle fly on an altar made much of and worshipped as something divine while a large handsome bullock led there in a halter before it lay stabbed at the foot of the shrine 
surprised at such doings he whispered his teacher if tisn't impertinent may i ask why should a bullock that useful and powerful creature be thus offered up to a bluebottle fly no wonder said t'other you stare at the sight but we as a symbol of monarchy view it that fly on the shrine is legitimate right and that bullock the people that sacrificed to it End of poem. This recording is in the public domain. Section 19 From Satirical and Humorous Poems, Part 4 by Thomas Moore Read for LibriVox.org by Noel Badrian Rhymes on the Road, Extract 9, The English Tourist venice and is there no earthly place where we can rest in dream elysian without some cursed round english face popping up near to break the vision mid northern lakes mid southern vines unholy sits we're doomed to meet for highest alps nor apennines are sacred from treadneedle street if up the simplon's path we wind fancying we leave this world behind such pleasant sounds salute one's ear as badish news from change my dear the funds phew curse this ugly hill are lowering fast what higher still and zooks we're mounting up to heaven we'll soon be down to sixty-seven go where we may rest where we will eternal london haunts us still the trash of almacs or fleet ditch and scarce a pin's head difference which mixes though even to greece we run with every rill from helicon and if this rage for levelling lasts if cockneys of all sects and castes old maidens aldermen and squires will leave their puddings and cold fires to gape at things in foreign lands no soul among them understands if blues desert their coteries to show off mong the wahhabis if neither sex nor age controls nor fear of mamelukes forbids young ladies with pink parasols to glide among the pyramids why then farewell all hope to find a spot that's free from london kind who knows if to the west we roam but we may find some blue at home among the blacks of carolina or flying to the eastward sea some mrs hopkins taking tea and toast upon the wall of china end of poem a speculation of all speculations the market holds forth the best that i know for a lover of pelf is to buy marcus up at the price he is worth and then sell him at that which he sets on himself end of poem a joke versified come come said tom's father at your time of life there's no longer excuse for thus playing the rake it is time you should think boy of taking a wife why so it is father whose wife shall i take end of poem
lines on the departure of lords castlereagh and stuart for the continent at paris e fratre e qui rapuere sabilis vix tenure manus scis hoc menele nefandes ovid metamorphosis book thirteen verse two hundred and two go brothers in wisdom go bright pair of peers and may cupid and fame fan you both with their pinions the one the best lover we have of his years and the other prime statesman of britain's dominions go hero of chancery blessed with the smile of the misses that love and the monarchs that prize thee forget mrs angelo taylor awhile and all tailors but him who so well dandifies thee never mind how thy juniors in gallantry scoff never heed how perverse affidavits may thwart thee but show the young missus thou'rt scholar enough to translate amour fortis a love about forty and sure tis no wonder when fresh as young mars from the battle you came with the orders you'd earned in it that sweet lady fanny should cry out my stars and forget that the moon too was some way concerned in it for not the great regent himself has endured though i've seen him with badges and orders all shine till he looked like a house that was over insured a much heavier burden of glories than thine and tis plain when a wealthy young lady so mad is or any young lady can so go astray as to marry old dandies that might be their daddies the stars are in fault my lord stuart not they thou too t'other brother thou tully of tories thou malaprop cicero over whose lips such a smooth rigmarole about monarchs and glories and knowledge and features like syllabub slips go haste at the congress pursue thy vocation of adding fresh sums to this national debt of ours leaguing with kings who for mere recreation break promises fast as your lordships break metaphors fare ye well fare ye well bright pair of peers and may cupid and fame fan you both with their pinions the one the best lover we have of his years and the other prime statesman of britain's dominions end of poem to sir hudson lowe effare causam nominis utrume mores hoc tui nomen dedere ad nomen hoc secuta morum regula ausonius eighteen sixteen sir hudson low sir hudson low by name and ah by nature so as thou art fond of persecutions perhaps thou'd read or heard repeated how captain gulliver was treated when thrown among the lilliputians they tied him down these little men did and having valiantly ascended upon the mighty man's protuberance they did so strut upon my soul it may have been extremely droll to see their pygmy pride's exuberance 
and how the doughty mannequins amused themselves with sticking pins and needles in the great man's breeches and how some very little things that pass for lords on scaffoldings got up and worried him with speeches alas alas that it should happen to mighty men to be caught napping though different to these persecutions for gulliver there took the nap while here the nap oh sad mishap is taken by the lilliputians End of poem. ballad for the cambridge election i authorized my committee to take the step which they did of proposing a fair comparison of strength upon the understanding that whichever of the two should prove to be the weakest should give way to the other extract from mr w j banks's letter to mr gouldbourne banks is weak and gouldbourne too no one ere the fact denied which is weakest of the two cambridge can alone decide choose between them cambridge pray which is weakest cambridge say gouldborne of the pope afraid is banks as much afraid as he never yet did two old ladies on this point so well agree choose between them cambridge pray which is weakest cambridge say each a different mode pursues each the same conclusion reaches banks is foolish in reviews gouldborne foolish in his speeches choose between them cambridge pray which is weakest cambridge say each a different foe doth damn when his own affairs have gone ill banks he damneth buckingham gouldborne damneth dan o'connell choose between them cambridge pray which is weakest cambridge say once we know a horse's neigh fixed the election to a throne so whichever first shall bray choose him cambridge for thy own choose him choose him by his bray thus elect him cambridge pray june eighteen twenty six end of poem news for country cousins eighteen twenty six dear cuz as i know neither you nor miss draper when parliament's up ever take in a paper but trust for your news to such stray odds and ends as you chance to pick up from political friends being one of this well-informed class i sit down to transmit you the last newest news that's in town as to greece and lord cochrane things couldn't look better his lordship who promises now to fight faster has just taken roads and dispatched off a letter to daniel o'connell to make him grand master engaging to change the old name if he can from the knights of st john to the knights of st dan or if dan should prefer as a still better whim being made the colossus tis all one to him from russia the last accounts are that the tsar most generous and kind as all sovereigns are and whose first princely act as you know i suppose was to give away all his late brother's old clothes 
is now busy collecting with brotherly care the late emperor's nightcaps and thinks of bestowing one nightcap apiece if he has them to spare on all the distinguished old ladies now going while i write and a rival from riga the brothers having nightcaps on board for lord eldon and others last advices from india sir archie tis thought was near catching a tartar the first ever caught in north latitude twenty one and his highness burmese being very hard pressed to shell out the rupees and not having rhino sufficient they say meant to pawn his august golden foot for the payment how lucky for monarchs that thus when they choose can establish a running account with the jews the security being what rothschild calls good alone will be shortly of course set on foot the parties are rothschild a baring and co with three other great pawnbrokers each takes a toe and engages lest goldfoot should give us leg bail as he did once before to pay down on the nail this is all for the present what vile pens and paper yours truly dear cousin best love to miss draper september eighteen twenty six end of poem a vision by the author of christabel up said the spirit and ere i could pray one hasty horizon whirled me away to a limbo lying i wist not where above or below in earth or air for it glimmered o'er with a doubtful light one couldn't say whether twas day or night and twas crossed by many a mazy track one didn't know how to get on or back and i felt like a needle that's going astray with its one eye out through a bundle of hay when the spirit he grinned and whispered to me thou'rt now in the court of chancery around me flitted unnumbered swarms of shapeless bodiless tailless forms like bottled up babes that grace the room of that worthy knight sir everard home all of them things half killed in rearing some were lame some wanted hearing some had through half a century run though they hadn't a leg to stand upon others more merry as just beginning around on a point of law were spinning or balanced aloft twixt bill and answer lead at each end like a tight-rope dancer some were so cross that nothing could please em some gulfed down affidavits to ease em all were in motion yet never a one let it move as it might could ever move on these said the spirit you plainly see are what they call suits in chancery i heard a loud screaming of old and young like a chorus by fifty velutes sung or an irish dump the words by more at an amateur concert screamed in score so harsh on my ear that wailing fell of the wretches who in this limbo dwell it seemed like the dismal symphony of the shapes aeneas in hell did see or those frogs whose legs a barbarous cook cut off and left the frogs in the brook to cry all night till life's last dregs give us our legs give us our legs 
touched with the sad and sorrowful scene i asked what all this yell might mean when the spirit replied with a grin of glee tis the cry of the suitors in chancery i looked and i saw a wizard rise with a wig like a cloud before men's eyes in his aged hand he held a wand wherewith he beckoned his embryo band and they moved and moved as he waved it o'er but they never got on one inch the more and still they kept limping to and fro like aerials round old prospero saying dear master let us go but still old prospero answered no and i heard the while that wizard elf muttering muttering spells to himself while o'er as many old papers he turned as hume ear moved for or omar burned he talked of his virtue though some less nice he owned with a sigh preferred his vice and he said i think i doubt i hope called god to witness and damned the pope with many more slates of tongue and hand i couldn't for the soul of me understand amazed and posed i was just about to ask his name when the screams without the merciless clack of the imps within and that conjurer's mutterings made such a din that startled i woke leapt up in my bed found the spirit the imps and the conjurer fled and blessed my stars right pleased to see that i wasn't as yet in chancery end of poem ode to ferdinand quit the sword thou king of men grasp the needle once again making petticoats is far safer sport than making war trimming is a better thing than being trimmed o king grasp the needle bright with which thou didst for the virgin stitch garment such as never before monarch stitched or virgin wore not for her o seamster nimble do i now invoke thy thimble not for her thy wanted aid is but for certain grave old ladies who now sit in england's cabinet waiting to be clothed in tabinet or whatever choice a tuff is fit for dowagers in office first thy care o king devote to dame eldon's petticoat make it of that silk whose dye shifts for ever to the eye just as if it hardly knew whether to be pink or blue or material fitter yet if thou couldst a remnant get of that stuff with which of old sage penelope we are told still by doing and undoing kept her suitors always wooing that's the stuff which i pronounce is fittest for dame eldon's flounces after this we'll try thy hand mantua-making ferdinand for old goody westmoreland one who loves like mother cole church and state with all her soul and has passed her life in frolics worthy of your apostolics choose in dressing this old flirt something that won't show the dirt as from habit every minute goody westmoreland is in it this is all i now shall ask hie thee monarch to thy task finish eldon's frills and borders then return for further orders 
oh what progress for our sake kings in millinery make ribbons garters and such things are supplied by other kings ferdinand his rank denotes by providing petticoats end of poem speech on the umbrella question by lord eldon vos inumbrels video ex juvenile georgii canningi eighteen twenty seven my lords i'm accused of a trick that god knows is the last into which at my age i could fall of leading this grave house of peers by their noses wherever i choose princes bishops and all my lords on the question before us at present no doubt i shall hear tis that cursed old fellow that bugbear of all that is liberal and pleasant who won't let the lords give the man his umbrella god forbid that your lordships should knuckle to me i am ancient but were i as old as king priam not much i confess to your credit twould be to mind such a twaddling old trojan as i am i own of our protestant laws i am jealous and long as god spares me will always maintain that once having taken men's rights or umbrellas we ne'er should consent to restore them again what security have you ye bishops and peers if thus you give back mr bell's parapluie that he mayn't with its stick come about all your ears and then where would your protestant periwigs be no heaven be my judge were i dying to-day ere i dropped in the grave like a meddler that's mellow for god's sake at that awful moment i'd say for god's sake don't give mr bell his umbrella end of poem this recording is in the public domain say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.